0: I do think there's, there are certain things that sometimes at different times people just learn by doing it, but I think prioritization is one of those things that really is, it is the secret. And I think like everyone can always get better at. It. I'm pretty good at it, but I can still get better at it. And some of the couple of hacks I use, you know, one is somewhat similar to what you just said, which is I will do this sometimes on a daily basis, even I'll do it on an hourly basis, sometimes on a weekly basis, monthly. If we could only do one thing. In the next hour, if we could only—if I could only get one thing across the audience, what do you want me to get across, right? Wow, we just we just focused ourselves. Okay, if I could only do one thing this week, what would we do? You know, and, and it's just a, and then I'll sometimes okay. Well, what if we could do two? And I think there's just a—you don't actually need to do a ton of analysis or anything to get that done.
1: We're so excited to have another episode of Ad Creative sponsored by Meta, and we wanted to remind you that going into Black Friday, they have rolled out 28-day click attribution again. We as a team at Pencil are excited to see this back in action for reporting in Ads Manager, and we wanted to make sure you realize this was an option for you as well. Now, onto the show. This week on Ad Creative, we speak to Jesse Pooji. If you don't know the name, what kind of rock have you been living under? He's an OG of the paid media space and the godfather of bootstrap. And recently, he's been working on his venture studio Gateway X, which has turned out some amazing new companies: Growth Assistant, Unbloat, and Kehani which just raised its seed round. This episode is amazing and had so much fun learning from Jesse. We talk about his early career learnings going from consulting to building his own business. How he learned about himself through entrepreneurship and what coaching helped him unlock. We also dig into how fatherhood has forced him to recalibrate his thinking about how he runs his businesses. And we dig into why we should all be trying to find our zone of genius. If you're interested in learning about mindset, bootstrapping, or general entrepreneurship, this episode is for you. Also, go give him a follow. You learn so much stuff on a weekly and daily basis. Enjoy.
2: I'm joined today by Jesse Puji. I don't even know how to uh, go through the CV here. He is the uh, the founder and CEO of Gateway X. Which Jesse, could you explain to people what Gateway X is, and then we'll go into maybe some of the portfolio companies you have there?
0: Yeah, sure. It's my version of a venture studio. Yeah. So you know, the big focus right now is on a business called Kahani. And uh, we're looking to reinvent the mobile experience for e-commerce merchants and customers.
2: Oh, that's really exciting. You also have, um, within GatewayX, you have Growth Assistant and Unbloat, which are are both doing some uh, some really impressive stuff over there. And before this, you were the, one of the co-founders of Amp Push, which is, uh, I think at now it stands at over 100 person agency.
0: Yeah, we always thought we were a tech company, but somewhere along the line, someone's like, I don't think you're a tech company. and, and <laughs> They were probably right. But we had... Yeah, the origins were really we were building a software solution around the Facebook Ads API but it evolved yeah. uh into more of a tech enabled agency.
2: I I understand building a uh, tech company around the Facebook API very very intimately. So obviously you have a you know vast array of experience, you know you worked at McKinsey, um worked at Goldman and then moved into um D2C and tech. And so I think there's a lot of questions I can ask you about business specifically. I think one of the things you talk about on Twitter that I appreciate most, though, is is really predicated around mindset. I'm very interested in both how you look at mindset, because I I find um, entrepreneurs and high level operators to have a, I don't know, the best way I can put it is like a, a very quick bounce back rate on challenges and also kind of an eternal optimism about the future that you don't see in other in other people. What has been, I would say, the core thing that has allowed you to move through all of these different experiences and have varying levels of success? And maybe the second follow-up question is, what do you see in other people that is like a through line between all of that?
0: Yeah, what a great, great way to start. I think this all starts by saying, entrepreneurship, man, it is hard. When I take calls as a potential investor or someone wants me to be advise them, I think the thing I always end the call with is like, hey, just keep grinding. Just keep going. Because I think there's just so much value in that. And yeah. I think it, it's like, it, we say it, but it's not said enough, just how hard it is. And I think it is really hard, even as someone doing it a second and third time with, with a big network and a big Twitter following, it's still challenging. You know, it's, it's challenging to will something into the world and find new people and find and convince someone that something is a thing and build a product. And I'm not, I haven't even started talking about the emotional side of it. It's just hard to do. Yeah, It's, it's a hard choice. And then when you layer on... Part of making it successful is putting yourself into it, but then having that identifying with your achievements or becoming one to one with your startup. Then emotionally, it's oh, when the company has a good day, I have a good day. When the company has a bad day, I have a bad day. And so that's even harder, <laughs> yeah. right? Make something yeah. that's already hard just really a, a, an emotionally draining and challenging thing. So I, I think that's really the, the, the starting point, which is man, this is a super hard thing. I grew up. I think one thing that helped is you know if you see family, you know my dad was an entrepreneur. Yeah. That's an unfair advantage. It's just a cheat code to, to see someone every day Well, both the benefits, you know, he made his own schedule, he never had a boss, but also the kind of the challenges and know what that takes and know the mentality. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of it. I think learning to deal with setbacks, building resiliency, it's something I spend a lot of time teaching my kids because it's just an important thing to to get comfortable with is being resilient. Yeah. And so yeah, I, I think those are kind of some of the, the starting pieces of it. We went through, we had a pretty successful period, I'd say for five years mm-hmm. in the beginning of Ampush, that was a financially successful, we built the business and screwed it super fast. But personally, it was a pretty big failure. Mm. You know, I'd say like, I wasn't a great husband. Uh, luckily, I wasn't a dad yet, but I wasn't a great husband. I, I was like, burnt out. I was tired, yeah. like, just dripping with tiredness. And then I, we'd had some success, you know, we had a liquidity event in 2015 for Ampush and i was like i was excited it was nice it was definitely comfortable but i was like this is it that's it that's what i was doing that for and like <laughs> yeah. there was just yeah. something that that really made me go wait this is not you know and i really had an issue feeling motivated for for many many months probably for half a year and i actually started ex- working with a coach around that time because of that and it really helped me unlock certain gears mm. that i think have made entrepreneurship easier on the emotional part of it, the, the business starting the business part is still super hard. Yeah. And, and a lot of that, you know, and I, I can go ahead and talk more about that, but, but that for me, coaching was a big thing. That I now tell a lot of younger entrepreneurs, get a coach as soon as you can. Yeah. Get someone who can play that reflection role for you. But yeah, it's, it's, it's super hard. And, and I think over time you can build ways of, of, of getting better at dealing with it and managing it. But, but I think and we can, let's go into those more.
2: Yeah. So you brought up one fun thing that, uh, that I was going to actually ask you as we were talking, which is what has it been like starting a business as a, not a parent. And then kind of the inverse of that, which is now you have, you have a couple of children and you've started gateway X, the, you know, the portfolio companies and working through those and then taking the lead on what's been the experience there. And yeah. Like we said, we can go into mindset. I'm just really interested in this because it's top of mind for me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I always joke, I'm like, you know, especially with people, I'm like, oh, you're seeing Jesse 3.0, you know, (laughs) like I've been through multiple layers of who I am to get to the place. When you started the first company, I didn't, I worked a lot, right? I mean, probably we worked 9am to 1am every day for the first couple of years. Yeah. Um, It would maybe not every day, six days a week or five and a half days a week. And I think and it wasn't because we were like, oh, we got to work hard to be successful. I literally think it's because we had no idea what we were doing. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, if you have no idea what you're doing, one way to to like manage it is like, just do everything. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I think like, we just had no idea. And, and so I was like, well, like this one funny story about the early days this is, this is such a funny story. So we were doing a lot of marketing for online universities. And I got this introduction through a relationship from Goldman to like the CEO that was a relationship with the CMO. A big, big intro. Yeah. Yeah. And I pitched the guy, my co-founder, Nick, and I pitched him. He loved us. He was like, you are amazing. There's no one like you in our industry. You're so talented, blah, blah, blah. We're like, oh, thank you very much. And we're like, do you want to buy some leads from our Facebook marketing that we're doing? He's like, I don't want to just buy, buy like leads. I want the whole thing, guys. Yeah, I want you to give it. And we we had no idea what he was talking about. He was like, we want you to do everything. Like. We thought he wanted to acquire Ampush, <laughs> so <laughs> we drove, he wanted us to be his AOR. We didn't know what the hell that meant. Yeah. And I'm sure he said those letters. We had no clue what he was talking about. I'm sure he said AOR, and we were like, oh. We heard we want to acquire you. And we're like, well, we're just getting started. We're not sure we're ready. And he's like, well, yeah. just put something on paper for me. So we drive back home. We spent all night putting together like a one-page term sheet. It's literally <laughs> this huge acquiring us. And like, <laughs> and we said, days iterating it. Yeah. And he's like, what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> he had no idea. He's like, he didn't even know what to say to it. He's like, okay, maybe we should just get some Facebook leads for you guys. Like, but it's like such a funny moment and we're not idiots. I worked at, I mean, we're smart people, but we're just highly inexperienced. Right. And, and so, you know, there's stuff like that. You just chase everything down, you, you know, and, and I think the big difference of, of having kids, I mean, even when I was obviously running Ampush when I had my son, we had enough infrastructure, I had executives. So it was like, I wasn't in charge of anything anymore in particular. That makes it way easier. But I also, you know, I was in charge of my schedule. So I started putting bedtimes on my calendar three nights a week. I wanted to be home by 5.30 to do bedtime. And yeah. I think this time around, I've, I'm have i just much better at prioritizing yeah. with how I spend my Like, I, I have a better sense. So I know where to spend my time. And then I have boundaries. You know, I have, I'm just, there's certain times I'm unavailable and, and that's okay. And I don't think I would have done, you know, I, I don't think I knew how to. So I think, you know, that's kind of the big experiential difference is that, I'm like, I'm working from priorities constantly. And I just don't think we ever did that the first two years. Yeah.
2: So a few things on that. First, I would have loved to have been in the car with you guys as you're driving back talking about this, <laughs> this acquisition deal. I've totally been there, by the way. You're sitting there, like, what do we do? Do we do this? You hop on the call or with someone. You're like, oh, you start strategizing. It has nothing to do with actually what's going on. And you get there and like, what the actual fuck is this? I, I can find that
0: document, by
2: the way. Yeah. But. That would be an epic tweet thread. second thing I think you you mentioned, and and it kind of, I think circles back a little bit to mindset is like this rigorous prioritization that I think is literally just, it's just bad. It's hard one, right? So Elon Musk always says, look, if you work 15 hours a day when you're young, you work two years, that's four years. And if you're working in like a high volume startup, that's like six or seven years. And so you can have huge sea changes in your career and your ability to operate very, very quickly by being in high levered, high intensity situations. And it's, it's really, really powerful. What I think is like when you move into say Jesse 3.0, it's really fascinating is you just talked about, Hey, I put these things on my calendar. I know what I need to, to do and what matters. I've kind of found my framework. And again, always a work in progress is I think that that's almost something you need to, like you said, go through the things you need to go through and say, okay, the business priority is like X. So for instance, I literally have a sticky note on my laptop, which is, this is the goal for the quarter. Everything else is subservient to that. Everything. Yep. If I don't hit this, it doesn't matter. So I make one goal for every single thing. Even as a father and husband, I have it in my click up where it's like, here's the actual goal yep. that I'm trying to hit on these days, weeks, etc. Do you think that's something that people can? pick up and just say, I'm going to do this right away? Or is it one of those things that just it has to happen through experience? Because I find this young generation is incredibly quick to learn and pick up things. But they're also like I feel people are almost trying to hack their way through things rather than just saying, look, shit's hard and you've got to experience it to actually get the the knowledge that's going to stay kind of deeply cemented in your being rather than just stuff that kind of passes through like a, you know, like hacks and tactics.
0: Yeah, Look, I, I think anything can be learned if the person's willing to learn it. Yeah. I think a lot of it does end up getting learned experientially because you just, you go through these things and then, and then you learn the hard way sort of, and you know, having kids I'm sure you have this too, like there are just some things you're just like, man, they just, they don't want to wear a jacket today. You know what? Let them be cold and they're going to learn. And, and I, I do think there's, there are certain things that sometimes at different times people just learn by doing it. But I think prioritization is one of those things that really is, it is the secret. And I think like everyone can always get better at it. I'm pretty good at it, but I can still get better at it. And some of the couple of hacks I use, you know, one is somewhat similar to what you just said, which is, I will do this sometimes on a daily basis, even I'll do it on an hourly basis, sometimes on a weekly basis, monthly. If we could only do one thing in the next hour, if we could only, if I could only get one thing across the audience, what do you want me to get across, right? Wow, we just focused ourselves. Okay. I could only do one thing this week. What would we do? You know, and 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 it's just a, and then I'll sometimes okay. Well, what if we could do two? And I think there's just a you don't actually need to do a ton of analysis or anything to get that done. I think that's like one hack I use. Another one when I'm coaching founders that I'll I'll oftentimes mention is they'll go well, like I'm starting a supplement that's better than testosterone. But like go look at Roe. They got Jesse. They're doing radio and they're doing TV and they're doing Facebook. And I go, yeah, you know, you will do all of those things one day but you won't do them all at one time to start. And that usually resonates, which is like, yeah, in three or four years, I could see you, but each of them is going to take you a period to build. Yeah. And it's like, you know, if you were to, if you and I were to go learn tennis, golf and basketball, do you think we'd be more effective if we learned one concentrated for three months, four months, every, every day, and then we learn the other one and then we learn the other one, or if we try to do all three every day together, like it's somewhat obvious when you say it like that. Yeah. And I always say marketing, marketing channels are like that too. You can't, you can't crack Facebook and email and, and search all at once. Yeah, it's really really hard to do that. But if you take them one at a time, within a year, you could still be running all three channels if you took them kind of serial versus in parallel. And so those are there's just different examples where you have to really help people deconstruct the how, mm. um, and it always involves prioritizing things in a very specific way. And like you know, it's interesting at X, One of the talent models I've sort of learned, I guess I'd say is we hire a lot of founders who, you know, their venture didn't quite work out the way they wanted it to for some reason. And, and one thing I would say is, look, there's a ton of luck involved in all this stuff. So just the the, the line is very thin between failure and success, between ambush exiting and whatever. But the, but I will say one common theme I've noticed from those folks is a, a muscle to zoom out and prioritize and like helping them build that muscle, which yeah. I think like, you know, that that's why a lot of startups fail is you're doing too many things at once. You're spending too much money on too many things, you're not moving the ball forward enough. And I think one thing I'm really good at is finding signal and then like watch out. Like that that works. I'm gonna go hard, 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 hard. I'm gonna go so hard on that signal. Yeah. And and I think that's that's the same thing as you know, it's another way of saying prioritize.
2: Well, I think that's um it's a really funny thing you mentioned in terms of like focusing on channels. You know, I can even say from our experience, just just um working on building pencil is we very much went horizontal rather than vertical when we found like a channel. And look, everyone, when I talk to people, they'll come and they'll say same thing. Advising companies like, well, I want to be like Nike. And it's like, dude, Nike is 40 years old and has a billion dollar yeah. marketing spend. And they have every great athlete in the world doing affiliate marketing for them. Like, you can't be Nike. Don't ever use that example when you're talking about your brand that has made $3. Like, it's not, it's not the same thing. Aspirationally, absolutely say, I want to be Nike. I mean, my dad used to talk to Phil Knight in the 80s. Phil Knight was not doing the things. I mean, you've heard that story about Phil Knight went and got his, uh, he went and got some of his distributors to pay the salary of his employees because like, I'm not going to make payroll. I don't have money. Right. Do you want to be paid next month or the next month and have orders? It will happen. And they went and did it. And so like these lines and this kind of um, hagiography hey, we have around these brands and what they are and how they how they've done things, you don't know because people don't, I don't want to say people don't, that's unfair. There's not as much history on this as say, you know, Henry Eighth, right? There's like Shoe Dog, but that's still, I mean, I don't know how many people have read Shoe Dog and it's still a pretty widely distributed book. So uh, I think that's a really, really important point. Going back to a little bit, of, like we're talking about prioritization and mindset. You talked about how hard it is and how no one t- like gives you permission to say, hey, this is really hard. And man, I feel bogged down by this thing. From a first time and a second time founder, obviously you've been with multiple companies of your own now. What do you see that kind of the difference between those two and then even like a a person who wants to found like, is there some, it's kind of like, again, battle tested, their grit has kind of been seasoned a little bit. Like what's the through line that you see there that you've seen with yourself kind of going from one experience to the next one?
0: Yeah, I think cultivating self-awareness has been the big thing for me. And and a lot of the coaching work I've done is around self-awareness now you know, there's self, There's like what I've realized is like everything in life, there's self-awareness has levels to it. There's like, you know, later that day, you reflect on the day and you're like, you know, I was, I was a little mean in that meeting. Like I'll do better next time, right? Or even sometimes it's a month later you go. And I would have thought, I thought of myself in say 2015, I'm like, I'm self-aware. I'm willing to admit my defaults. I'm not defensive. I, I love feedback. And my coach, you know, and I worked on going from later that day or the next week to in the moment being able to actually be aware of, oh, I'm feeling a little frustrated. Hold on, I should take a breath, right? Or I don't want to react. And so there's a lot of pieces to it, I'd say, but to try to try to synthesize it, I think one was learning what was motivating me in the moment. Was I being motivated by wanting to make money or because I was scared I wouldn't succeed? Or was I motivating because I wanted to, because I was having fun and I wanted to help a person I was talking to. And I noticed like you had me do this exercise with index cards of just writing what I wanted to be in a meeting. And it changed the whole nature of the meeting. And I even have, One of my longtime employees pulled me aside and he goes, you know, Jesse, you don't say anything different in the meetings than you used to say, but I feel very different walking out of that. And it was interesting. He had no idea that I was actively practicing something where instead of relating to something from, you know, my own success or fear that I wouldn't be successful, I was relating to it as trying to help teach the group something. Mm -hmm. And just in that moment, just that slight shift in how I was relating to the problem meant something very different for how I was myself feeling and then energizing others. So I think That was a big thing tapping into my own motivation. The other one that that I find is just another helpful thing I use a lot is this concept of zone of genius, which is really like, you know, there's like four quadrants. There's zone of incompetence, like for me, that's folding clothes or something. I don't know how to do it really that well, right? There's zone of competence, which is like, I can drive, I'm a pretty good driver. Zone of excellence, I'm pretty good with spreadsheets, right? Uh, And Excel. And then, and zone of genius, which is talking to you and sharing stuff. Like it's something I'm, I'm really good at, but I'm also really energized when I do it. So it's like, you're good at it and, and it gives you energy. Mm. And so that was a big shift for me when I was a founder, you know, 1.0 founder, it was, it's my job to do everything because it's, this is my thing. I can't let it fail. Mm. You know, Oh my God, I got to do everything. I got to do this. I got to check the bills. I got to whatever. And then now this time around, I've gotten much more comfortable going. There's a set of things that I, I'm going to really try my best to spend 75% of my time in my zone of genius. And everything else, I'm going to have someone else do it, or I'm going to find the right people to surround myself with. And it, it's make, it makes the days more... Like, I just don't feel burned out. I feel energized because I'm yeah. spending most of my time doing things that give me energy, right? And the zone of excellence is the most dangerous because it's it's like... I love spreadsheets, by the way. I love numbers. But I would say, like I don't know that it energizes me. It, it probably drains my energy, even though I'm really good at it. Yeah. So it's really f- figuring that part out of yourself. And then that part's kind of easy, actually. It takes a little bit of time. But then actually having the discipline to live there say no to things that are outside of your genius yeah and that's kind of the other part
2: do you find like for instance that matrix that you just talked about do you hire trying to use that like is that what you do when you do say for instance a uh, an interview process where you're saying like okay how do i find this because obviously they have their resume But then you do some work to kind of figure out, hey, where are they excellent? Where are they a genius? How much of this job kind of aligns with their genius so that I can, you know, obviously. Yeah,
0: totally. I mean, that's something I'll ask. I mean, when people DM me on Twitter, cold DM, and and one of the first questions I respond with is, what are you best at? Tell me the thing you're best at. And then it's like, I'll try to find some way to evaluate that because I think, if I ask them something they're mediocre at, like what value, that's not a value for them or for me, but like, what are you best at? Yeah. And it's like, I'm a, I'm the best copywriter in the world. I'm like, okay, write me an email that's going to convince me to take a meeting with you. And if the email is not very good, then I'm like, okay, well, th- sorry, that's this is probably not the right fit. You know, it's, it's like, give someone a chance of what they're really, really good at. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think we spend a lot of time talking and thinking about that. I'd say in hiring, we do, but probably way more once somebody joins. Because part of the belief of the zone of genius is like, maybe you can't do any job from your zone of genius, but like you can do a lot. It's not necessarily the task so much as it is a way of being,
2: Hmm.
0: right? It's like, it's like I would, there's somebody out there who would grow Kahani by visualizing the whole product and making detailed specs for it and whatever. And that's probably not me, but I would probably go find great people. Yeah, I would talk, I would find customers and, and get them excited and they would tell us the problems. So we're both building the product, but we're just building it in very different ways kind of coming from different places as we do it. So it's not necessarily a sort of a task or content oriented thing. It's like a way you will do a thing.
2: My mom always talks about, she's like, you need to know like essentially what you said, which is like what fills you up. But also you need to also be aware of how you fill other people up. And it sounds really weird, but I think it's a really, really smart one, which is like, where do you also give people energy? Because that's because you're exuding something special like outside of you and people can kind of feel it through through even a screen, right? We're talking and I can feel the energy and how much you love talking about this kind of stuff. And I remember my dad listening to our podcast, he's like, you need to do more of this. You need to, you need to lean into this. Why weren't you doing this before? And I think it really does come down to if you enjoy speaking to people and learning from people, and these are like my two favorite things to do in the world. This is like, yeah. it's a goldmine. People just sit and they tell you all this amazing stuff like, Oh, I'm smarter. I'm smarter. And I didn't have to do anything for it. So one thing I'm curious about, because Gateway X, like you said, Venture Studio, and you have Growth Assistant, which is you have an amazing CEO running, same thing, uh, Unbloat, you have someone running. What made you say Kehani is the the business that I want to run specifically? Because it's kind of, it runs parallel to your duties, you know, running Gateway X. Because you said, you said something to me earlier, which is when I see Signal, I just dive into that signal. So what was that signal there and kind of said, okay, I want to go back in and I want to build a tech company because you said like, for instance, Ampush was tech enabled, but it wasn't a tech company specifically. So this would be, forgive me if I'm, I'm uh, misstating this, but your first go around building a tech company yourself, if I'm not mistaken, what was like the signal and like what's been exciting about doing that and pivoting over there? I think there's there's two
0: pieces to it. I mean, I think one is the signal. Like we started putting this thing on websites in the spring mm-hmm and intuitively i thought this could work like people are going to engage and it's a very engaging format we all know that and then i saw the numbers and i go oh my gosh people are their time on site doubles when they yeah. when they engage with kahani their conversion i'm like holy moly this is something big here and and like the signal was very clear to me and i was like okay like i'm going to double down on it and then i think i think it was that combined with then the second thing you said which is you know this is something i've never really done before you know i think growth assistance is an amazing business but i've sold services to marketers before. I mean, that's what I spent 10 years doing. And it's, it's a little different because they're offshore and it's a bit more of a talent platform than it is a, a kind of a marketing platform. But but it isn't that different. And even Unbloat, it's a brand where we're doing Facebook ads. Like I've I, I literally spent 10 years doing that also. Yeah. And I think so I can use my unfair advantages to enable and coach those leaders, which I love doing. But I've never built a SaaS business before. I'd never raised seed money from from a venture capital perspective. There was like A, this big signal and B, like, oh, and a bunch of parts of an adventure I've never been a part of before. So I was like, okay, this feels both big and different enough that I would love to go spend some time, let's go build this thing. And look, the one difference between me and a lot of founders and CEOs is also part of being an experienced one is there may be a time, there may not be, but there may be a time where I go, wow, I got this thing to five or 10 in ARR. And you know what? I'm no longer, my zone of genius is no longer the best to be the guy or girl sitting there and jamming on more sales, upsell. Like it may be that there is, I don't know. But like, I'm okay with either, like I was like when, when the VCs invested in it, I was kind of joking. I'm like, you won't have to fire me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'll, I'll have fired myself well before you'd want to fire me for not being the right guy to, or girl to take it to the next level, right? Yeah, And I have no, there's no pride in any of that for me, which like, in fact, would be the opposite. I'd be like, if, if it got to a point where I go, man, I'm not being effective. Mm. I'd be totally So that's sort of how I thought about it. But I think for now, it's like, whoa, this is so different in so many ways. And well, the third thing I would add is, by the way, is like, I do know a lot about the subject matter. Not like I have enough knowledge and, and understanding. I was joking with, with the team the other day. I'm like, man, selling this software that improves people's conversion is like, it feels relatively easy. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm used to having to explain the biggest channel. Most of the customers of Ampush, Facebook was like 40 to 80% of their business and we had to improve it. And like, I'm used to the most scrutinous spotlight you could imagine and having millions of dollars of another company's budget on our shoulders. This is like a software that touches, you know, 20% of their traffic. And yes, it improves it a lot. And we're not charging them millions of dollars or charging them tens of thousands, you know? And it's like, I'm like, this feels pretty different. And so they're like, oh, that's interesting. And so even some of the things customers see us do are me with my Ampush hat on going like, well, we're going to we're gonna give you a detailed breakdown of the analysis, the incremental of each story. And they're like, yeah. This is crazy. Like this is agency level, you know, service engagement. I'm, like, I'm sorry. I just yeah. I figured if you know this is what you'd want. We've automated it into the software. And so I think that's also an advantage for me in in building this thing
2: out. Yeah, it's really interesting. So like obviously a lot of our clients um are agencies. And so they come and they ask for similar things. We're like, hey, what about this? What about that? And it really does come down to because like let's be honest, running Facebook, running any ads is not it's science, but it's it's not terribly complicated. Once you figure out kind of what the inputs are, you just have to do it, be rigorous about kind of every step of the journey and iterate really fast. So then the next level of that is like, well, how do we make our kind of our overhead that we're bringing onto this company feel valuable? Well, it's like, okay, there has to be like a service layer wrapped around it. And so well, even what we found at Pencil was like, we had the software and it was really strong. People are using it. We see adoption. We just added in a little human touch so that they felt like there was, and you just see kind of these engagement rates, like all of these kind of our number one throughput metrics kind of go through the roof. And it's all just predicated on people want to feel taken care of. This is like my number one thing I say, and it's not a metric you can put on a spreadsheet. It's like, how do f- people feel? And so there's a guy named, um, where's the CPO at? But anyway, he taught a class at, at uh, reforge. He calls him called psych. And so it's literally just a unit of measure of like, how do people feel when they're using your product or your service? And like everything either adds or detracts or is neutral. And so what we were looking at is like, okay, the problem, for instance, for pencil, like AI is like expectation is at 80 out of hundred. You're not starting like 20. Okay. We can build from here. It's like, you know, 80. So right. already AI, no matter what it's going to be, there's not a single platform, all the AI providers I've ever talked to, like, no, everyone is always like, well, this is, I was expecting this perfection. Right. If you hate Facebook ads, you hate the most advanced AI in the world. Like that's just, no one else is going to touch it with the tens of thousands of engineers they have working on their algorithms. But like you're measuring kind of those things to see where you need to layer in. And so that service level you're talking about, I think is, it's a really important component that the best SaaS companies eventually get to because they start seeing their churn numbers kind of go through the roof. But what you have, like you said, unfair advantages, well, I did this already. This is kind of just baked into the way that I think about business in general I love that. The other thing I think is always funny is, um, about this specifically. And I talk about when I advise people like, look, really your value is where you sit with regards to revenue for people. So it always is like, if you sit in the middle, you're kind of always going to be the odd man out when it's time to cut budgets because like, well, we don't do this. We don't do that. The team is kind of using it, but you're at cross purposes. And it's like, oh yeah, that, that software, dude, every time you use it, you get an immense amount of value. So, agencies, for instance, like there's high turnover because it's really close to revenue, but you can also charge high ticket because you're so close to revenue. So, you're like, okay, you're dictating a huge amount of the way that my, you know, the sea changes in my business. Similarly, for conversion rate, you have the ability to say, look, we're sitting right next to the dollar signs that are coming into your Stripe account. So, do you want that to be better and more efficient and like orders of magnitude more efficient in terms of scale over time? Do this. Do you find that that's a hard thing for people to unpack when they're like building anything and or like layering in new software or new kind of strategies into their businesses when you're either coaching them or looking at them? Yeah, I
0: think one of the challenges, and I did this early on a lot as an entrepreneur because I didn't know anything. And I was always just be like, well, what's the best practice here? What, what, how does someone deal with this? How does, and I think there is something to be said about the way it's done. I think it's knowing that really well. But then I think, you know, as an entrepreneur, and especially as a leader over time, and you see people, you know, I ran Ampush for 10 years, there were at least three, maybe five distinct time periods of culture shifts and what we valued internally and how the, how the people changed. And, you know, when Red Ventures invested in us, we were, we thought of ourselves as highly performance oriented, hmm. but we were really charging a percentage of media spend to people at that time. And they really challenged us to change our business model. They said, I want you to start tra- charging based on every customer you get, not based on the media dollars you spend. And so we started doing it I, and I thought we were very performance oriented, which we were, but we realized very quickly that, oh no, we do a lot of things because people are trying to chase the media instead of chasing the customers mm. and And then what we saw after doing that for a couple of years is the whole culture shifted everything we, we because we were being paid on how many incremental customers we generated, not on how much media we spent. The way the tools we build, the way we analyze problems, they Mm. all shifted. And so one thing that, again, this is a good example of another just being an experienced entrepreneur. We had this moment early on with Kahani, which we said, should we make it like cheap to use self-serve, but we're not going to promise anything out of it. Like, it's Mm. just a cool thing to put on your site. and We won't charge very much. And let's just go really wide. It can be on e-com, it can be on media. Or should we charge a lot for the product, but we should make sure that it delivers 10x its ROI. And I said, we're picking number two. And then one goes, well, wow, yeah. uh, there's strategic challenges. I go, yeah, but by picking number two, selling it to our customers, saying we'll deliver it, we will learn how to de- deliver it. Yeah. We will evolve our culture until we become really good at that thing. And getting really good at that thing is extremely valuable Yeah, versus this other thing. It's like, it's just not that valuable. You are commoditizing yourself effectively, right? And already it's led us to innovations. Hey, we need a dynamic story maker where we're going to, dynamically look at people's inventory and make come up with all the different ways they should be merchandising them on their site. So we've come up with a bunch of tools because that's been our North Star. And so I think that's a really important thing to think about as a founder yeah. is what is your North Star? And then realize if, if you emphasize it, people will react to it and that's what will build your culture ultimately.
2: I always say something like that uh, runs parallel to that is monetization strategy. You can always go down very hard to go up, like just in the psychology of like what the market is used to, especially if you gain any sort of traction. When you start raising prices, you get a lot of, for instance, like Webflow added some new stuff and everyone up in arms. Not that it's bad, it like it just is what it is. Obviously, they have some, you know, some unit economic things they have to take care of just to make it a meaningful business. But
0: yeah, and look, enterprise software is almost always com- like owes almost a competitive space because there's not really things that create lock in in the same way. Like yeah. when you look at Netflix and Disney Plus and, and Spotify, first of all, it took them 10, 15 years. Yeah. Now they're all gonna raise prices and it's not gonna be a big deal. We'll all pay it because because they've gotten less, But there's no real enterprise software like that. There isn't an alternative. And so you, you have to figure out what result, you know, value you're truly delivering to the customer.
2: The only one I feel is really challenging for people to leave is when they have a CRM that they've just invested a huge amount of time and resources into getting, into getting together true, and you almost have to be the most atrocious piece of shit software to actually have someone willing to move on because there's just so much information in there that would be hard to and they obviously make it impossible to like transport it over, but like point well taken, yeah, I think like any sort of software. Um, that can kind of unlock that, that's the holy grail, right? People who want to stick around a long time and get completely and utterly invested in what you're doing so that there's so much data in there. I mean, this is one of our, like our, my biggest hypotheses around if you can get enough data in your system that makes it impossible for people to leave on a macro level, you can have a lot of retention across you know multiple clients from there. You share a lot of different things on Twitter What inspired you to kind of go hard at that channel? Was it, hey, I'm starting Gateway X and I want to... Or was it, I just want to start sharing what I've learned. I I feel like I have enough things that I can give value to people. What was the kind of the impetus for that?
0: I think it was all the above, right? I mean, I, I think, again, philosophically, I've sort of thought about my why in the world is to help others learn and grow through the power of entrepreneurship and sort of synthesize what I think truly gets me going. Yeah. And so I go, well, what better forum to do that than a public forum? And, and I think that's sort of the, so that's the soul of it, right? I think the, or the heart of it, the head of it is, hey, I moved it back to St. Louis from the Bay Area. And that was, you know, pre-COVID just now. I was like, okay, well, I should, I want people to still know who I am. I don't want to fall off the map. So important thing, I think talent and recruiting, you know, commercial opportunities. I think I'm learning a ton from it too. So it was, there was a bit of, you know, the, the cult, of, it was driven by the heart, but but ultimately there were obviously objectives against it that, that I thought about
2: so I know we're we're running up towards kind of the end of our time together. What have been, like I always do this thing, I don't really ask a rapid fire, so I always call it like anti-rapid fire. There are three questions we have here. The first one is, what skill do you have that you think has kind of defined or had the most impact? I mean, you've obviously said a few different things, but like, what do you see as your number one skill that has allowed you to kind of unlock growth for yourself? I
0: don't know if it's the number one. The number one might be like, Curiosity and and like I love learning, but I think a distinctive skill that that comes up a lot that I realize is is like public speaking. I did debate in high school, I did telemarketing in college, and I think those have been just very early ways to build a skill of both strong communication, but also thinking on my feet. and And I think it's it's like one of these lucky things I have that I sometimes sometimes underrate how valuable I think it's been.
2: Oh, those kind of things, those, like you said, the ability to think on your feet. I always talk to people about like, it's like a, like a football game. So they script their first 10 plays and like, you kind of know where you're going and then people start chaos ensues eventually, like anything and the atoms start exploding. You have to just kind of know and feel it's very much a feel thing. And so, like you said, it's just hard one through that. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received?
0: Ooh, when I was down in my journey, just people encouraging me to do this inner work. Um, you know, the founder of Red Ventures, he was like, "You're a lucky MFer, you know, and and you have beautiful children. You're done really well, and and you're still feeling kind of in a rut. That's like, there's probably an opportunity to do some inner work." Yeah, I think that's yeah.
2: What have been some of the maybe one tactic that you've used to use uh, to do inner work that you think is pretty uh, like transposable to
1: anybody?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I said coaching earlier. I'd like there's a book that they call the Fifteen Commitments of Conscious Leadership, and I think that's a really mm. great place to start and some of the videos and stuff yeah. that they have. But I do think it's important to do work and exercise. Like, I think meditation is important. It's part of the work. But I think alone, without actually some of the ways it affects the way you'll show up in meetings and stuff, I think it's it's a longer road. And I think some of the stuff like in that book can it really help you tactic.
2: Well, we'll link that out in the show notes. Last one is, say, Jesse today, 2022 meets, you know, Jesse... Oh uh, six, graduating. What does he say to him in terms of like, say, you could be like, "I want to be an entrepreneur." What would you say to uh, to that young man that uh, maybe someone didn't say to you back then?
0: Yeah, I well, I'd say go do do it. But I I think the bigger lesson for two thousand six Jesse, which I I'm not sure he would have listened, but would be worry less about being right and worry more about what you want. Hmm. Follow more of what you want. You know, your energy and the things that excite you, and less about getting the answer yeah. right, whether it's career or the job yeah. you pick or the I I think I spent a lot of time, you know, still do worrying about getting the answer right versus just going, Hey, what do I want? What's interesting to me? You know, and I think following my voice and and my heart.
2: Yeah. I think that's a really great way to, uh, to end it is to follow your heart as much as possible. It will lead you generally to the right answer anyway. Um, I have found so Jesse, really appreciate you taking the time to do this. This was a blast. I, Like I said, I get to just sit here and learn uh, and ask questions. So thank you for spending time with us and, and sharing.
0: Anytime, man. It was great to be on and, uh, and I'll see you on Twitter.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ad Creative from Pencil. We hope you enjoyed our chat and learned a thing or two that can help you grow your business and think more creatively. If you have someone you think we should interview, just hit me up on Twitter. Also a small favor, if you could please share and review this, we want our guests' amazing insights to reach as much of the community as possible. And your ratings help. Till next time, add some creativity into your life. Thanks.